when our children look back and see what we've done, I don't think that there's going to be future generations of landlords that will storm this house and go, hey, you took away my landlord rights. Uh, the eyes are 63, the nose are 55. The bill will be read a third time. In trying to shut down the odd bad landlord, the government has thrown a guilty net over all rental property owners. I think the approach lacks sophistication and any sort of insight or knowledge as to the risk of providing a rental. This is the most anti-landlord government probably in the history of our nation, certainly in the last 50 years. I'm Emile Donovan, and today on The Detail, it's been in the works for more than two years. Banning letting fees and allowing landlords to increase rents just once a year. That, a couple of the measures that the government is introducing to try to make life easier for renters. Finally, last week the government introduced some drastic new reforms to tenancy law. Changes are really about making the market a bit fairer of the tenants. The Residential Tenancy Act hasn't had a major overhaul since it was introduced in 1986, and it's showing its age. But, predictably, they've caused some consternation. There's some pretty scary stuff on the horizon when it comes to supply, and that supply has a knock-on effect on rental prices. And jobs, so we've got and some jobs really as well. Scary, yeah. Absolutely. I have rephrased and reframed the bill, the Residential Tenancies I Hate Landlords Bill. So what's actually changing? If you're a renter, what will it mean for you? And if you're a landlord, how do you stay on the right side of the law? Henry Cook is Stuff's chief political reporter. The bulk of the changes actually were in um, Labor's 2017 election manifesto. Uh, and then 2018 was when they first kind of, you know, in the kind of time frame you would expect from a new government, announced uh, the kind of policy in, I think it was August 2018. It was Phil Twyford, who was the housing minister at the time, with a... Uh, Green Party co-leader Manama Davidson, I remember it was a, in a small flat in Roseneath in Wellington, and he said he was keen to kind of get a bill ready pretty soon. He'd originally said by the end of the year, but it was kind of clear at that point that it was probably going to be more like early 2019. And without the consultation for a number of months of NBAE before it even became a bill, and then we just kind of heard nothing for a very long time. Of course, things happened, relevant things. In June 2019, there was a big cabinet reshuffle. Megan Woods becoming the housing minister. However, that will be helped by the fact that there are now effectively a team of housing ministers. There are actually five ministers or ministers and associates that have some responsibility or input into that housing portfolio. Which might have hampered how quickly these new reforms could be introduced and debated. Eventually... Very late 2019, new public housing minister at that point, Chris Farfoy, announced the bill and then introduced it in February of 2020. What we're trying to make sure that we have in this legislation is balance up for the modern situation uh, that we're in now. If landlords do want to end a rental agreement with a tenant, that there are prescribed reasons and a process if a tenant has uh, been disruptive or has paid their rent late more than three times so that they can have confidence going to the tenancy tribunal. So, yeah, it kind of just disappeared for a long while. The legislation that this actually pertains to dates back to sort of, what, the mid-'80s, right? So what, yeah. what was the intent behind this bill? Was it sort of to update that? Because it, my understanding is it hasn't really been developed in the past 35 years or so. Yeah, I mean, there's been, to be honest, there's been a large amount of small um, changes. You know, it's the kind of bill that you can always kind of do a little... It's like people say the RMA hasn't been reformed. The RMA is reformed all the time, but it's often just um, reformed in a very tiny, um, kind of niggly way. This is the first, yeah, re- really large-scale reform um, reform of it. And 
I guess one of the things the Minister talks about a lot with us is that it really did feel like the bill was written in a time when rentals were a thing for students and maybe young professionals, not people with kids, not uh, people staying in for a long time. It was kind of expected that it would be fine for a tenant to be moved on relatively quickly because obviously if you're a you know a 24-year-old, it's a lot easier to move house than if you're a uh, 32-year-old with a small child. You're around 600,000 households renting now, which is a lot of people. <laughs> like it's 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 not uh, it's not just the purview of of, um, of students anymore. That's I mean, that's the big thing this bill is trying to recognise. Finding reliable statistics on renting versus home ownership is a bit more difficult than it might seem due to problems with the 2018 census. StatsNZ in 2019 estimated there were just under 1.8 million households at the end of June. About 62% of those people owned their own homes, about 604,000 rented, and about 66,000 lived in free accommodation like the sleep out at Mum's Place. Home ownership in contemporary New Zealand peaked in the early 90s when more than 70% of people owned their homes, and since then, home ownership has declined, more people are renting, and the cost of renting has increased too. The overall package is very much about giving tenants somewhat more rights um, in, in their flats or their homes. And it is quite zero-sum. Like, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of landlord opposition to this, and you can understand why, because it is relatively zero-sum. They are losing out on, you know, what they would see as property rights to tenants who are getting more rights over what they would see as, you know, their home. Let's go through some of the actual practical kinds of changes. Like, what is actually going to happen here, and how will it be different to how things were last week, I guess? What I would say is, is for a lot of tenants, probably things won't be immediately massively noticeable, because often the changes of these contract things are for kind of the pointy end of when things go wrong. So if you have a pretty good relationship with your landlord, you've kind of been in a place for a couple of years, it's not necessarily going to completely change the, you know, the way your rental works straight away. The, the, the really big changes for like the actual structure of how the law works is probably the, the biggest one is getting rid of no-cause terminations. Good landlords aren't using no-cause terminations to end tenancies. They've actually got uh, good relationships. I think um, you know, a very small number of landlords are using uh, the no-cause termination, um, and in some cases... I may not be using that in the spirit in which uh, they are intended. What landlords have had for a long time is, you know, a set list of ways to get people out of tenancies, but also this ability to basically, within 90 days, say, I just want you out of the flat, without, without a reason. Um, it could be that they're moving into the house themselves. It could be that they just want to change up the tenants. There didn't have to be a reason. So whatever happened, there was a kind of a backstop for them to always be able to move a tenant on. 90 days is a bit of notice, but it's, it's three months, but... It's still a lot to move your house. And basically the only way those could be stopped would be if someone went to a tenancy tribunal and kind of proved that they were being discriminated against, which was not something that was happening very often. Mm. This bill gets rid of that that kind of no-cause termination, and instead it kind of sets out a more prescriptive list of ways that tenants can be evicted. The, the newer one is antisocial behaviour, which is uh, kind of what, what landlords would usually say they, they're doing that for which you need to kind of meet the threshold of antisocial behaviour three times over a, a period, and the tenancy tribunal will rule on that. Uh, there's also, there's also you know, provisions if you want to move into your house yourself and things like that, but it, it is a lot more prescriptive. So landlords won't quite have the freedom to boot tenants out as, as much as they have in the past. Some critics of the reforms have pointed out that the whole three strikes in 90 days and you're out aspect could be open to abuse. Say, for example you're an unruly but exceptionally cunning tenant. 
you could spread your antisocial behaviour out over time. Say it's the 1st of September, you throw a big party on a Tuesday night, wake up the whole block. That is antisocial behaviour. Your landlord gets grumpy, strike one. Then a couple of months later, on the 1st of November, you decide to do some burnouts on the lawn. That's strike two. Now, if you then decided in early December to set a stack of tyres alight on the back fence... Well, if you waited till December the 2nd, the strikes reset. You couldn't, in theory, be evicted on the antisocial behaviour grounds. There's worry that people will, uh, you know, do two antisocial acts uh, within that period and then, you know, wait and then, and then do, do, do two more in another period. I mean, you know, nothing's impossible. I, I would say the kind of tenants who are engaging in antisocial behaviour are usually not super controlled about their antisocial behaviour. And also one person's antisocial behaviour might be another person's, you know, having some friends over on a Saturday night. Mm. So the idea that you could you could you could boot someone out for one instance of antisocial behaviour, I think you can see why the minister was a little bit wary about that. Are there examples of what would qualify as antisocial behaviour or is that something that's going to require further interpretation? Ultimately it will be up to the tenants tribunal to to kind of roll on that. It's, it's not it's not super, super prescriptive, but you can you can imagine that the you know the normal ones around extremely loud behaviour, harassing neighbours, that kind of thing. There is, I mean, if, one of the things that they actually added on for the bill very recently was, was if, if a um, tenant is convicted of assaulting a landlord, they can be gone 14 days. Mm. It's not like a, as a landlord someone could go to the house and, and get punched by a tenant and then not be able to kick them out. There is, there is still a backstop there, I would say. Zoe, who's a student at Victoria University and has been a tenant in a number of properties in Wellington since 2017, told Eva Corlett she thinks one of the most important changes is removing renters' names from tenancy tribunal records if they win their dispute. This is one that um, advocates have been asking for for a long time. It was actually not part of the original uh, law as, as Twyford announced it. Um, it was something that Farfoy added in. And basically what it does is, is it allows tenants to anonymise themselves if they are wholly or partially successful in a tenants tribunal claim. And this is really important because right now you can go on the tenants tribunal website, you can just search up a name, and even if the tenant was totally successful in their complaint, their names is, are just there. And, and it's kind of very well known that there are databases of these people who have made tenants tribunal claims that landlords can use when vetting you know, prospective tenants. So I think the one that most stuck out to me is something that actually would benefit me and other people in my position that I kind of talk to is the anonymising of the tenancy tribunal. I know several people who have been to the tenancy tribunal and I know that I've considered it in the past. And one of the reasons why me and a lot of other renters don't pursue it is because we know that our name will be on the public record and we know that it means that landlords will know our names and will be able to say, this person has had a previous one with a landlord, we don't want to take a chance on them, and we don't want to rent to them. And if you're a landlord, you might look at that and you might say, look, even though I won their claim, I don't want the kind of tenant who goes to the tenancy tribunal. Mm. And there's been a real, perceived all real risk for tenants in going to a tribunal because they feel like they're going to be on a blacklist and never be able to get a flat ever again. Given the supply and demand issues in the rental market, landlords almost always in the major centres kind of have a choice of which tenants to pick. So if you have a choice and one tenant went to the tenants tribunal about, you know, the shower not working three years ago and one did it, you might go, oh, well, I don't really want to have to deal with that. Uh, so that, so this, would, this would allow them to be totally anonymised and, and not in those, in those databases or, or kind of searchable up by landlords. Speaking of the idea of landlords, particularly in big cities, um, you know, being having, having an oversupply of demand, one of the tech, Dicks, I guess, that has been controversial recently is the idea of rental bidding. Can you describe what that kind of is and how these reforms kind of address that? 
rental bidding, once again, one of those things we, it's, 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 you hear a lot about it, but it's, there's never really been a you know, good research on exactly how much it's happening. But uh, you know, the idea being that you would turn up to a, a property, there would be you know, 40 other people going for the property as well, and you'd say, you know what, I could actually pay a bit more than you have set out in the ad. And um, obviously that could be quite quite uh, lucrative for a landlord. And I'd say, yeah, well, well, you know this guy over here actually said that he'd pay even more than that. As I said, unclear how much this was definitely happening. You, you definitely hear a lot of anecdotes about it happening in Auckland and Wellington. Uh, and this 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 bill just makes makes that totally illegal. So basically, you have to you have to the sticker price that you offer is the one you have to go through with. There's a few kind of small exceptions. One of these weird big things you, you find out about these big bills and new reform is that there's a lot of little uses of them you don't realise, like companies who have employees who kind of pay employees partially through their housing, which they provide, which is technically administered by the SAT, and things like that are kind of accept. But in general, you you would not be able to uh, kind of have an auction for a rental price. Okay. Um, I have a framed A1 poster of Barry Manilow that I want to hang in my bedroom, but I'm scared because I need to hang it on a nail and I need to hammer that nail into the wall and I'm scared that my landlord will get angry at me. Um, will this change my ability to do things like that? Well, I, can, I cannot stop your landlord getting angry at your Emil, I'm sorry. Uh, but but yes, this, this bill does allow for kind of minor fittings um, and, and adjustments to be made. This is you know you can't just knock out a wall of your tenancy. But the idea is that basically a rental should be a bit more like a home, and people should be able to do things like you know earthquake strength in their homes by adding a bracket to a bookcase so it won't fall down, hanging up posters or art, as long as it's all the kind of things that can be kind of easily remedied by a landlord. So, so you know, say you put a nail in for your A1 poster of Barry Manilow, that can be relatively easily remedied, as long as you're not putting a nail in, I don't know, some, some kind of, I'm not a building person, but some, some kind of um, material would be very hard to repair that. Yep. So, yes, it does, it does allow for that. Um, it doesn't actually allow for pets, which was kind of a big issue that Twyford was going was to kind of tackle with us. It was going to, you know, greatly widen the, the ability for pets to come in, but Pathway ended up not doing that. So in trying to achieve their end goal of perceived fairness, Labour, I think, will fail miserably. If people bail from providing rentals, our housing stocks simply will not grow. Fewer rentals at the market, prices skyrocket. Simple economics. Figures already show that rents are now 60 bucks a week higher than two years ago. Right, so, so this has been an argument, and it's been used basically whenever any kind of changes to rental laws have gone through. And it's an argument not just made by the opposition. Officials themselves kind of have, have put these in warnings, basically saying uh, landlords may feel, feel under attack and, and as a result get out of the market. Um, now, obviously, when, when a landlord sells their house, that doesn't mean that usually it doesn't mean that it remains empty. But if they do sell their house to a, to a say, a home buyer, a first-home buyer who's actually going to live in an owner-occupier, typically owner-occupiers have far less people in them than rentals do. So I live with eight other people, but if you sold my house to a family, I imagine it would be, I mean, it's a large house for a family, but I imagine it would be more like four or five people. And that's kind of borne out of my statistics that are the exact one there. So because of that, when a rental property becomes a owner-occupier property, even though you lose people from the renting market, there's still usually slightly less rentals for the amount of renters there are. So because of supply and demand, that does have an inflationary effect on rents is kind of the argument. The problem with that really is that rents have just been going up anyway, so it's hard to know how much any new law, things like the healthy home standards or changes to the uh, Brightline test, has really affected that, and how much it is just generally because land prices are exor- you know exorbitantly you know inflating, and in general uh, there's a lot of demand for tenancies, so you know landlords are free to put market rent up. So I've got my numbers right here. 
for, for kind of a standard government because that's how people usually think about it. For, for National Weekly Reds, and this is from June 2017 to June 2020, Red Door data is kind of messy, so you just have to pick two, two maps um, that compare really. Reds rose from, this is weekly Reds, kind of average Reds from NBAE, rose from $427 a week to 485 um, so that's that's a fifty eight dollar increase mm-hmm. in the three years prior. So that's for the national government from you know June twenty fourteen to June twenty seventeen. It was an increase from three hundred and seventy four to four hundred and twenty seven dollars. So that's an increase of fifty three dollars. Mm-hmm. It's they've been going up quite steadily for quite a long time, except for in areas like Christchurch, where kind of there's so much there's so much property on the market in Christchurch that rents are actually quite stable. Now, as we've heard, landlords and lobby groups, and even breakfast TV hosts have serious reservations about some of these new reforms. But some of the rhetoric around this has been described as a bit scaremongery. Andrew Bruce from the Auckland Property Investors Association recalled a tenant of his who killed a neighbour's dog, suggesting the reforms would make it more difficult to get rid of that tenant. But it's not a united front of landlords. Last week, Mark Todd, a landlord for nearly 20 years and founder of Ockham Residential, penned a scorching piece for the spin-off website saying landlords were hyperbolising for dramatic effect and not engaging with reality. New Zealand's tenancy laws are amongst the weakest in the Western world. So there's nothing to complain about anyway in the, in the, in the macro context. You know, and, and home ownership is actually... Uh, you know, an issue that affects families, society, mental health, you know, well-being. You know, there, there's a range of lenses through which you can look at, you know, home ownership and, and renting homes. It's, there is definitely issues in the sector. I just think there's a sophisticated conversation. Are we doing the best? Are our regulations as good as they can be, you know, looked at a global context rather than, oh, you've changed the law, I've lost someone else's one. I mean, that... That's just natural, and every regulation has changed. So it's, it's just this is a touch point, you know. Mm. I, I think that the real way to look at this is, t- is to start a discussion about whether it's healthy, you know, for New Zealand's baby boomers to have so much of their wealth tied up in the residential property market. In some ways, it's quite lazy. In 1990, the average New Zealand house price was 3.3 times income. Now it's like eight. You know, there's been a decoupling of house prices relative to incomes. And it's not the only reason, but you've just you've got to acknowledge that part of that reason is there's a lot of money dumped into the residential property market. Mark Todd says New Zealand has some of the most pro-landlord tenancy rules in the developed world, and all these reforms really do, is move us closer to a European model. The new Act makes it, you know, a little bit, I suppose you could, you could use the phrase a little bit harder. I think there's certain time frames and multiple offences to, to, to get a tenant how to remove one of your properties. But I mean, do we really need to base the discussion about an outlying instance? You know, there's bad actors in any environment. Our high court's full of white-collar criminals that are in there for fraud and have behaved badly. What really got me going to write this article was the implication that all tenants are like a second-class citizen. Like, why are we even discussing outlier cases when we're talking about nationwide, relatively modest, broad legislation that does recognise that we're behind the world in tenancy rights. In any industry, you can find extreme situations. As I said, our courts are full of cases that involve fraud and stuff, but the vast majority of businessmen are not fraudsters. Like, let's base our law about what happens normally in the way people transact. Like, I just felt ashamed to be a landlord and hear an advocacy 
person for those organisations speaking in such terms. It does imply that tenants are second class, which is really what pissed me off. When are these reforms going to come into effect and is the iteration that they have taken out, is that it? They are happening, we know how they're going to happen now, it's just a matter of waiting for that to come in force? Yes, yeah, so that, that's past third, third reading, so this is the law of the land, once it gets royal, I said. Um, the changes to uh, putting up rents that only be able to do it every 12 months, those are happening um, almost immediately. Uh, actually, when the because there's currently a red freeze on because of COVID, that's a whole other topic. Um, once those lift, um, you know the, the 12 month really freeze thing will come in. The other changes won't come in for another six months, kind of to give uh, tenants and landlords a chance to, to get their hands over this. And there's no chance that, the, that these reforms could be next if there is a change of government. So Judith Collins has said that she would uh, get rid of these. It's kind of unclear. If you get rid of all of them, you never know. But I actually said very clearly that she looks the government's bashing landlords that this is going to drive up rents and that uh, that National would, would, you know, get rid of them. That's it for today. I'm Emil Donovan. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so other people can find us too. This episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansel and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to Henry Cook and Mark Todd. Kaki te ano.